When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. My first sermon here at Dolphin now almost four years ago, and every so often since, I've said something that I want to remind you all of. I only have two sermons. The first sermon is, Jesus is King. And the second sermon is, and his kingdom is like whatever. <laughs> whatever it is that the scriptures are talking about for that particular day. Those are really the only two messages that I have. Jesus is king. That's what it's really all about. That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is in charge. And even more than what happens for you or for me, it's really about Jesus, isn't it? Sometimes we try and make it about something other than Jesus in so many different ways. And sometimes we do it for really good reasons. And sometimes in making it about Jesus, we also just make it about me or you. We ask questions like, what must I do to be saved? And we forget that the only person who ever asked Jesus that was a guy we call the rich young ruler. And he walked away disappointed. Because as glorious as it is, even my salvation is not the point. It is not the gospel. Now the point, the bigger news of which my salvation is a side effect, a byproduct, a glorious, outrageously, incomprehensibly wonderful gift. The real point is that Jesus is king. Romans 10, nine puts it this way. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When I'm talking with people before baptism, especially with, with young kids, for whom I want to make sure it's as simple, it's as obvious, it's as plain as I can make it, that's where I start. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? Coming here today from a confirmation. That's what we've been talking about. With, that's what we talked with our confirmands through all our confirmation. It was really just variations and implications of two simple things. That Jesus is Lord. And God has raised him from the dead. And of those two things, that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, you would think that the second one would be the harder one for people to believe. That's the one that sounds so unexpected, so outrageous that sometimes people have a very difficult time with it. And oftentimes my experience is that when people are first coming to faith, that's the one they want to ask a lot of questions about. Did God really raise him from the dead? But then my experience is people come to accept that one a little more easily than the other because my experience is that most people believe that just about anything can happen once. People believe all sorts of crazy things will happen one time. There's a crazy number of people who believe they might win the lottery. Anything can happen once. There are people who believe that everything would be okay if they just bought this one thing. And there are folks who believe that they really can lose six inches with this one weird trick. 
we tend to believe anything could happen once. That we can fix our kids. Kids, that we can fix our parents with just one heart-to-heart conversation. We tend to believe, we want to believe, that anything can happen once. And so if you believe any of those things, then maybe it's not hard to believe that once in all the history of humanity, a man was raised from the dead through no intervention other than the love of God. But is he Lord? Anything might happen once, but if Jesus is Lord, then that has to be true every day. Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord right now. And that, my experience, is that that's actually the harder thing for people to accept over time and day to day. If Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is in charge right now, then it feels to some of us as though, well, it just ought to be a little bit more evident. You know, already our news is starting to look ahead to next year and to yet another election, and people are talking about what might happen, and every time there's an election, some folks are happy about it, and some folks are disappointed, but no one asks, is there really such thing as a government? There are some parts of the world where the power structures are less clear on paper, and some conflict zones, then it's not always clear who's in charge. It might change from day to day, but there's usually one surefire way to know who is in charge and who is Lord in any given place, in any given situation. In those places, the question of who's in charge is whoever happens to be in your village today holding the gun. But if Jesus is in charge, if Jesus really is Lord, really is King, then we have to begin by admitting that the evidence of that looks very different from the evidence of the rule of all the other lords and would-be lords in this world. His kingdom is a mystery. It's like a hidden thing that the rest of the world can't see. You might say it's like a treasure that's buried in a field. A man comes across it and then sells everything he has to buy that field and claim that treasure of great price. You might say that it's like a, a pearl of great price that is jumbled in with all sorts of other things at a local flea market until somebody finds it and says, this is worth everything. That's how Jesus described his kingdom. He said it is different than all the other kingdoms of the world, so different that you might not even recognize it. And the idea that Jesus is Lord is so difficult for us to grapple with and get our heads around. It is so difficult for us to understand. It's so shot through with doubt that even Christians have found all kinds of ways of trying to get around it, creative ways to work around the idea that Jesus really is in charge right now. Some people try to convince themselves, well then yes, Jesus must be in charge right now by placing the gun in his hands. That must be what it means that Jesus is in charge. Several years ago, after a bridge collapse in Minneapolis killed 13 people, one prominent pastor explained the event to his daughter this way. He said, God had a purpose for not holding up that bridge, knowing all that would happen, and he is infinitely wise in all that he wills. And his daughter responded, maybe God let it fall because he wanted the people of Minneapolis to fear him, 
And the pastor responded, yes, I am sure. That is one of the reasons God let the bridge fall. I hope you are as aghast at that answer as I am. But I also hope that you can see that's one of the ways we try to convince ourselves God really is in charge. Because his kingdom is so different than what we've come to expect. So some of us don't know any other way to say that Jesus is in charge except by placing the gun in his hand and saying it's trained on different ones of us at different times. There are other ways we cope, though. Some of us cope by looking to the future. We find ourselves saying that Jesus isn't really Lord yet. About 100 years ago, there was a songwriter named Joe Hill. He was fed up with the ways that uh, Christians used Jesus as an excuse to ignore their neighbors, so he wrote this song. Uh, it became a big hit here in the U.S. He said, long-haired preachers come out every night, try to tell you what's wrong and what's right, but when asked how about something to eat, they will answer in voices so sweet, you will eat by and by in that glorious land above the sky. Work and pray, live on hay, you'll get pie in the sky when you die. That's where the phrase comes from. You ever heard that before? Pie in the sky thinking? It comes from the song by Joe Hill. From folks who say that not, it's not that Jesus is Lord because he wields disasters like a weapon. No, no, no. It's just that Jesus is Lord, but not really, not yet. He'll be Lord one day. When we get pie in the sky, in heaven when we die. But, maybe the most popular way to reconcile ourselves to the idea that Jesus is Lord is not to put it off in the future and not to make, put the gun in God's hands, but we just privatize the, the belief. Say, I don't know if Jesus is Lord of all, but I'll make Jesus the Lord of my heart. And brothers and sisters, I want you to hear the good news. You don't have to make Jesus the Lord of your heart. He already is. He's the Lord of everything else too. And the question for us is when we will accept what is already true and what's been true ever since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. That's what we understand is what happened on that ascension day. The ascension is the first place we should look if we want to understand what it means that Jesus is Lord because the ascension was Jesus' coronation day. We've all been through a big coronation. We've seen it on the television. We've seen it in the news. It wasn't here in the U.S., but somehow we still managed to be fascinated by it. We all know what a coronation day looks like. Ascension was Jesus' coronation day. When we read about Jesus rising in the clouds, these are not just cool stage effects or proof that Jesus moves around in a better way than you, has a really cool carriage. No, in the way that we understand this, Jesus' ascension, the way it's described in the scriptures of him rising and being lifted up, disappearing in the clouds, it's a carrying out of a vision that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Daniel chapter 7. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, we're told that the author there describes being in the throne room of God, and you won't believe what he described showing, and who he described showing up there. Daniel says, in Daniel chapter 7, he says, suddenly I saw someone like a human being. Some translations will put that, like a son of man, coming with the heavenly clouds, 
He came to the ancient one and was presented before him, and rule and glory and kingship were given to him. And all peoples and nations and languages will serve him. His rule is an everlasting one. It will never pass away. His kingdom is indestructible. Daniel describes someone looking like a human being, coming to the throne room of God, surrounded by clouds. Does this sound familiar to anyone? This is the Ascension Day. And what does Daniel say was given to this human one, this son of man? Daniel says that in his vision, he saw the son of man being given rule and glory and kingship that will never pass away. I'm sure you've seen the photos of King Charles now, dressed in all his garb. He's got the globe in one hand and the scepter in the other and the crown on his head. He's been given all the signs of kingship, of authority, of rule. That's what happened to Jesus at the ascension, where he was given glory and rule and kingship that will never pass away. Book of Philippians says it again when it says that, Paul, that God highly honored him and gave him a name that is above all other names. Paul says it's already happened. We don't have to wait. We don't have to believe that Jesus was Lord once upon a time or that Jesus will be Lord one day. No, the point is that we believe Jesus is Lord right now and his reign will last forever. Or in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it this way. He says, it is necessary for Christ to rule until he puts all enemies under his feet. And death is the last enemy to be brought to an end. It's in that word from 1 Corinthians that we hear how it is that Jesus can be Lord, and yet the world is full of things that Jesus does not desire, that he did not cause that he did not want to be. Jesus is Lord, but he still has enemies. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. Injustice is Christ's enemy. Sin is Christ's enemy. Death is Christ's enemy. And on this last Sunday of Easter, we still celebrate the resurrection because it is a sign that death cannot overcome Jesus. But that until Jesus returns, his enemies are going to win some battles along the way. Death is not God's desire. Disaster is not God's desire. Corruption and injustice are not God's desire. But we still struggle against them. And we, as Christians, are called to be all the more committed to overcoming these enemies of Jesus Christ because we desire what Jesus desires. We face the enemies of Jesus, but we face them without fear. And when we do that, our courage becomes a mystery to all who have not seen what we've seen. Because we know that the enemies cannot win the war. And that even their victories are temporary. Resurrection means that one day, as the devoted Christian J.R.R. Tolkien once put it, everything sad is going to come untrue. But in the meantime, it's not our job to make the sad things untrue. And it's not our job to pretend they are not sad. 
It's not our job to pretend that all the sad things are God's will. It's not our job to explain what God will do with them or how he's really using them. There are some things in this world that seem so awful to me, I cannot imagine what it would look like for God to undo them. It's a mystery. But I believe it. And it's simply our job to give witness that even when they win some battles, God's enemies will not have the last word. It's our job to declare the good news that some people will call unbelievable, that some people will say couldn't possibly be true, but that others will realize is our only hope, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's our job, to continue to praise continue to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Curiously enough, it seems that even the disciples weren't sure about that at first. When Luke goes on to tell more about the ascension, he says that um, uh, up until the very day that Christ ascended, Jesus' disciples were, were asking questions. They were like, is this it? Is this the day you take the throne? <laughs> When's it gonna happen? And then after he had ascended, they kept staring trying to figure out what to do. Where'd he go? What's this mean? We're told that they saw the clouds, they saw the Son of Man, but they didn't see the throne. And it isn't until a few chapters into Luke's next book, the book of Acts, where he picks up right where he left off, that he tells us someone finally got the full picture. As someone was a guy named Stephen. And we remember him today as the first martyr of the church. And what most folks remember about Stephen is that he died. That he was stoned by the authorities in Jerusalem. But we also ought to remember what he saw and what he witnessed. Because Acts chapter 7 verse 35 says that even when his enemies surrounded him, quote, Stephen, enabled by the Holy Spirit, stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and saw Jesus standing at God's right side and he exclaimed, look, I can see heaven on display and the human one standing at God's side. All the apostles saw Jesus ascend, but Stephen was the first one to see him beside the throne. He saw Jesus at the throne of heaven and he saw, he saw God on the throne of heaven. He saw Jesus right there with him, holding glory and kingship and all rule forever. And then do you know what Stephen said? After he had seen that, he said, Lord, Lord, forgive them. They do not know what they do. To the very end, Stephen insisted that sin would not have the last word. So he insisted on forgiveness, which must have made him seem very mysterious indeed. That's the witness that the world needs. And whenever we act in that kind of power, the world can see that Christ is in charge right here, 
and right now too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we have not always chosen to wield the power of forgiveness. That we feared it would somehow make us less in charge or even diminish your power. We have not always remembered that you are Lord in the present tense. Forgive us, we pray. Free us to joyfully forgive and to use all the power that you have given. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.